Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Welcome to those of you that are here. Thank you so much for joining me. This is going to kind of dig in specifically into one aspect of math, which is math centers. But I wanted to do a training just on math centers because I often get lots of questions about how are you running math centers? What exactly goes in each center? What's that going to look like in the classroom? So let's dig in and get started on talking specifically about math centers. Just to introduce myself before we get started, in case it's the first time we are meeting, my name is Patty. I am a teacher here in Ontario, Canada. I teach actually in Hamilton, and I teach this year a grade six class. And I also am the founder and CEO of Madly Learning. And here at Madly Learning, we create resources for teachers in grades three, four, five, and six And it's always our hope that with our resources, we can help teachers to figure out how to fit all of the things that we have to do as teachers, how to fit that together while also creating rigorous lessons that are fun and engaging for students and for teachers too. So that's who we are and what we do. So let's talk about math centers. Okay. Centers in your mathematics classroom. I will start by saying I absolutely love using centers for math. It is probably one of my more favorite pieces of math. And it's not so much because of the centers, but it's because of what centers allows me to do. And that is the flip side of centers, which is the guided math instruction. So because I know as a teacher, guided math is so important, and it makes such a transformative change for my students and really helps to kind of move that needle for their math development. In order to facilitate that guided math happening in my classroom, math centers are the ticket and they get to be fun. So let's figure out what they are, how we can use them in our classroom and what we put inside these centers to make it all work. So why should we use math centers in our classroom? Well, first, having practice is a key component inside math. So it's great if we want to have math that's all about math talks and we have inquiry math and we're all focused on problem solving and these big open-ended tasks. Yes, we want that, but we also want our students to have opportunities to actually practice the skills that we're teaching them. And the one thing I really like about centers is that it gives students the opportunity to just practice skills. And it's a way that's a little bit less teacher assign the task and everyone's sitting in their rows and doing the same exact work. So it's a little bit more flexible. It's easier to differentiate this way because you have different options and different choices. So we can do things like hiding those students that have some needs. We can hide them in plain sight because sort of in a center, lots of people are doing different things at the same time. So the student that might be doing something different from say 75% of the class, it's not quite as obvious, which means I'm probably gonna get more buy-in from that student. 
and they're not going to feel like they're sticking out like such a sore thumb in that moment. So I really like the centers because it helps them to practice those concepts. It also gives students an opportunity to apply new learning to the new concepts we're teaching in a safe way because they're not doing it right in front of everybody. They can do it collaboratively. They can make mistakes. There can be errors inside that they can learn from. They can work with a team to sort of develop those concepts. What I really like about sort of the center environment in my classroom is the collaborative type of opportunity that happens. And it creates this sense of community and safety within their classroom that it's totally okay if students can make mistakes in centers, they can learn from them, they can talk about it. And it really sort of makes it just this time where students can just kind of get dirty with math and it, it doesn't always have to be clean and perfect. So that's one of the reasons I like having it happening in my classroom because it really helps to build this sort of resilience in our students. It also allows me, because I have multiple centers going, it allows me to strategically balance within my math program the acts of practicing math concepts and making sure that, you know, we're still getting them to remember the rote learning, that there's still a place for that in our classroom. We may not necessarily be doing like kill and drill timed math tests, but we are giving our students time to practice. But we can also, in the same time period, give our students an opportunity to problem solve. So they're problem solving, they're experimenting. We can give them open-ended problems, multi-step problems, single-step problems, problems within context. We can give those inside a center as well. We can have centers that on a scale for students in terms of ability, we can have ones that are sort of lower end thinking tasks and also higher end thinking tasks. And students can sort of go back and forth along that continuum within a center. And again, I think the number one reason why I highly recommend using centers in a math classroom is because it helps to facilitate guided math. We want students to be learning and demonstrating in our classrooms during math. And it means there's also time and opportunities where we're not always the circus conductors. We're not always the person like doing all of the things and managing all of the things we can put some of that ownership onto our students and have them take some of that responsibility for their own learning. This is my math command center. So when I'm running centers, I want to have the tools and the materials that my students are going to need in a place that's really highly visible. So I want students to know what it is they're supposed to be doing for each one of the math centers and where am I going to store those resources. So I do that on a math board. So if I had a board that was, this is a board that is four feet by three feet, but I've also done it where I had four little boards and it was just M-A-T-H. But I have these areas where I'm going to be writing what the learning goal is on that front cover. And then any of the materials that my students would need to pull from will go there. You could also, if you don't have bulletin board space, those four things could be buckets or folders that students can pull out. I have in the past used those magazine holders from Ikea and every week just replace the four centers activities and label them with the M-A-T-H. And those all represent the four centers that are going to be happening in my classroom. But 
it's always good to have a command center in your class where students know, okay, math center's time, where do I look? Where do I go? Where do I get my resources? And establishing that routine is going to be really helpful. It's not every day, what am I supposed to be doing? This week I do this, this week I go here in my classroom to get the materials, this week I don't. Having a command center or location in your classroom where students can gather the materials they need for their center's activities in one place is really helpful. So I like using my command center here, either on a bulletin board or there's lots of different ways to do it. But having this in the room really helps to sort of ground focus. And it also gives you a routine for yourself on how you're going to fill and prep and structure it every week. So every week, if you've got those four magazine folders, you put all four activities ready to go the Friday before. So on Monday morning, you walk in and you already have all your four centers activities ready to go in the buckets for your students to use. So I don't want you to be overwhelmed by this. We're going to walk through it. But one of the questions I often get asked in my literacy program is, centers. How do you run them? And I am not a fan of saying that there is only one way to run centers because it will be dependent on your students, your student needs. It's going to change over time as your students' skills develop. In September and October, you probably don't want to just give free reign to your students to make all of the decisions on what center they're in at any point in time. Centers should be flexible. In the sense that as a teacher, we can change it up. It doesn't have to be exactly the same every single month. As our students develop more skills, we can release some of our control. So I want to look at these four sections. There's two real categories here. This is structured versus open. So this is in terms of your rotations. And then we have fixed groupings and flexible groupings. So we have to think of centers in two sort of different axes. One is how we're going to get our students to rotate through the different activities. And the other is how are we going to group our students? So when we look at those two, there's really this matrix that is created. The first is going to be a highly structured rotation that is teacher controlled and the groupings are going to be fixed and determined by the teacher. So there's a lot of teacher control here. So obviously this is going to be something that would happen more so in say September, October, as you're getting your building routines, you're getting used to students, but in a structured rotation, this is going to be your very traditional rotation. So you have group A is at center one, group B is at center two, Group C is at center three. Tomorrow, they all just shift one over on your chart. And it's you determine as the teacher, you determine the groups and you determine the rotation. And in this, you're going to follow a set schedule. You're going to have your guided math group set and part of your rotation, they will end up at your table. So once a week, each group will rotate through your table. The groups stay together physically. They will travel together. They will work in the same area of your classroom. There is a high degree of teacher control over these type of centers. Students have very little choice in what's happening. And they just do sort of as you've pre-planned and designed. This is great in September and October. 
this is personally how I normally will start all centers in my classroom is in this way where I have a high degree of teacher control. However, personally, I leave this format as soon as I can, as soon as I get my students to develop some semblance of independence, I move away from this because I find myself as a teacher, this highly structured fixed schedule is overwhelming to me and hard for me to consistently maintain. So I do tend to travel further towards the other one. So let's talk about those. So the next one is where we still have structured rotation. So we still have that schedule up on our board that says Monday you're in center A, Tuesday you're in center B, Wednesday you're in center C, and Thursday you're with me at the guided reading table. Still a structured rotations, except we've added a bit more flexibility to how our students are grouped together. So students will rotate through a fixed schedule. However, they may not necessarily be grouped in the same area of in our classroom. So we may not say, oh, the M center is up at the front corner of the room. The T center is at the side over here by this bulletin board. And the H center is on our carpet. That would be a fixed and structured rotation. In a flexible structured rotation, we may start adopting more flexible seating mentality of here, these five students are in group A, so they're in, they're in the M center, but the M center is an independent activity, a practice activity, practicing multiplication facts in some way, shape, or form. Well, it's not necessary that all of those students are sitting side by side to do the work. So in a flexible, structured centers grouping, these students can actually sit wherever they need to. They can sit at their desk. They could sit in maybe your flexible seating options. There is a bit more flexibility, and we've introduced some choice to our students for this way. So we want to transition. So if we're starting to let go of a little bit of control and adding in more choice for our students, they have choice about where they might sit of what they're doing. It also means that we're going to be introducing some flexible groupings for guided instruction, which doesn't mean that it's just a free-for-all, but it does mean that we might be changing up the groups every week. It might be different every week. It might be based on need in the moment, like you, they were struggling with that lesson today, so you pull just the group that identifies that need, they need extra support. It might mean that not every kid in your class sees you in a guided math group every single week because we know we have those kids in our class that are really just strong math students that we know in a whole group lesson, they get it. They're putting their hand up. They understand the instruction. They modeled it for their friends. I don't need to see that child in a guided math group every single week. I can skip them. Because I'm already pretty confident after my lesson and having a two-minute conversation with them, they get the concept I was teaching. I don't need to reteach it. I don't need to re-watch them do the work. There may be times where I want to give them an extension activity briefly, but that doesn't need to happen every week. And when I give myself permission in this flexible grouping that I don't need to see every student in my classroom every single week on a fixed schedule, it means I can start triaging my students. So it means I have more time for the students who need more of my attention. And I can give myself permission to say, okay, I already know these five kids are fine. 
for it. They already know how to divide using the standard algorithm. They've been in tutoring for three years. I'm good. I saw them. I walked around. I watched them do a work. I'm, I'm done. I don't need to keep seeing them in guided math. But these other three kids, they're struggling. I need to see them three times this week. So that kid who's not struggling gives up their guided spot so that I can spend more time with the kids who need it. Now, that doesn't mean that in a month's time, I'm not going to like check in with them. I certainly am. But they don't need a full guided math session all the time. And that's where flexible groupings are really helpful. I find myself, if I'm overly structured and overly rigid with my rotation schedule, it doesn't give me sort of the permission I need professionally to sort of say, like, it's okay that I don't see kid one. I need to see kid two and three. And I can be more flexible. I can decide based on need, not necessarily based on this is, it's Monday. I see these five people on Monday. So moving yourself down that path and adding a bit more flexibility into your center's rotation alleviates a little bit of the rigidness for yourself and perhaps for your students. Now, if you are a teacher that completely and totally thrives on that structure and routine and you are like this superhero when it comes to like getting through those centers and it's an accountability piece for you, then stick with the structured rotation because it works for you. And if it works for you, then just keep doing it because that's what's working. So it doesn't have to be all the same for every teacher. Now, the other one is fixed groups, but an open rotation. So this is where I do have rigid groups I meet with on a calendar. So I may decide as the teacher, I want to see these students on these days. This is my schedule. Here's who I'm meeting with every day. I plan my schedule as the teacher in terms of which groups I'm going to see on what days. However, what's more flexible, what's open here is the rotation. This means your students are going to start having some choice about what center they're going to do each day. You may give them a calendar or you may give them the four centers reviewing them on Monday and saying, okay, you pick the you pick which one you're going to do each day. You decide your path. What day will you do the M center? What day will you do the A center? What day will you do the H center? And they plan what activity they're going to do. Now, some of them will all want to do the hands-on center because it's fun. So you may want to say like, there's only five spots for today. So you can't always have it there. And you can decide as a teacher how much openness, how much decision you want to give your students. And maybe that's something that's gradually introduced to them over time. But this is okay as well. I do find introducing this element of choice and giving your students some ownership over these centers when, as they're gradually introduced to this throughout the year, definitely helps with their buy-in and their engagement and their ability to work independently. So the more autonomy I give them in some choices about what activities they're going to work on when, and perhaps whether or not they need help from me in that moment with that concept, the more autonomy and choice, and I can share that load of decision-making as a teacher with my students, the better I find they work independently. No, it's gradual, and there's lots of things that go into getting them there, which we'll talk about on Saturday in the second bonus training. 
But it's something if you've never done it, it feels sort of panicky to you to like give the ownership to your students to make those choices. It's something you gradually work yourself into. And if that's you, if it's making you nervous, just talking about either the the one on the bottom, the bottom left or the one on the top right, then you may want to plug your ears for the next one. The next one is where you have open rotation and flexible groupings. I will be honest, this is where I comfortably sit as a teacher. This is my ideal rotation situation for myself, but I, it is not the ideal rotation situation for many teachers, which is totally, totally fine. But if you happen to be like me, and this is sort of, this is like, wow, you can do that and that's okay? Yes, it's totally okay. So if you want an open rotation, that means your students select what center they're doing when they're doing it. You don't need a rotation chart. You don't need a rotation schedule. You just need four centers activities. Put them out there and tell your students which one are you going to do which day. You decide, but by the end of the week, they all need to be done. It's a little less organizational chaos for you as the teacher because you've put it right on them. It's their responsibility. And I've done this with grade fours. And I've done this with all the way up to grade six. So it's not just the grade sixes that can handle this. Sometimes my grade sixes can't. And the flexible piece here with that center is that now you also have flexible groupings. So you are basing your groups this week based on sort of the anecdotal evidence you're collecting during your whole group instruction, when you're walking around during their warm-up activity, on their self-assessment, you know, after your whole lesson and you're like, okay, who's like, give me a five, four, three, two, one. Who gets it? Who understands it? Who's ready to rock it? Cool. You don't need to see me. Who's like, I'm sort of getting it, but maybe if I sat down and practiced a little bit with a partner, I'd be good to go. Okay, cool. You don't need to see the teacher in guided instruction. Okay. Who's giving themselves a two? My twos. Okay. You're going to come with me. I'm going to quickly do a reteaching lesson and send you off to go practice. Okay, there's my quick guided reading. Come in, show me what you're doing. Let me see whether you're struggling or I just need to sort of quickly reteach. You just need maybe another couple of examples with me and then you can move on. And then you have your level one kids that are like, I don't understand a word you just said to me. I have no idea what you just did. I need you to start from the beginning and walk me through step-by-step step and redo that whole thing. Cause like you were, you lost me at like math today. So if those, you got your ones and twos, they're with you. So you invite all of your level one, two students, not academic like grading, but all the students are like, yeah, I don't get what you just taught us. Those kids, you invite them all to stay with you. Send off your kids that are like, I get it. I'm good. I'm ready to go. Send them off. They're good. They can go start their center's activities. Those level two and one kids that are self-assessing going like, I just totally don't get it. They stay with you. The two kids that are like a two, you're like, I'm going to do a couple more samples. I'm going to watch you do it with me. Now we're in a smaller group. Maybe I've got like 10, 12, 15 kids, hopefully not 15. I've done a decent enough job at the lesson that I don't need 15 kids with me, but it happens. Some days you're just not having a hot teaching day. So you've got say 10 kids with you. You probably have about four or five kids of those 10 that just need a couple of more examples before they're like, okay, I got it. Or you need to watch them quickly to try it and just give them that boost of confidence going like, yeah, yeah, you totally got it. Go, go, go practice. You're good. And then you're left with, say, your five kids that are totally stuck. 
that's the group you get to do guided instruction with for that lesson. They may be the same kids every time. You might have a level four kid that's like, yeah, you know what? I'm not sure about this. And they come over and it's really them making the decision on who's getting guided instruction. You may invite kids specifically who are choosing not to come over that you know full well are struggling. You invite them to join you. But in an open and flexible rotation, the students have a tremendous amount of say and control in what they're working on and who gets to work with the teacher that day. This is my favorite because it really allows me to spend the majority of time with the kids who need it. I get to really spend my time triaging them the most. I do have to have check-in times with the students who are getting it just to make sure because you're always going to have a few that might slip under the cracks saying they think they get it, but they have no sweet clue what they're doing. So you do have to sort of check in with those other ones. But this, this is also another way to run math centers that doesn't require you to follow the super rigid traditional centers activities that we all just assume that's what centers must have to be like. If it doesn't work for you and you just want to have this sort of like free range math activity centers, here's some activities to do so that I can really do some reteaching, then that's okay too. That's still centers. So I hope with this whole matrix here that you see on the screen, you can sort of see yourself somewhere in the matrix of centers and understanding that there is no one right way to do it. The best way for you to do centers is the way that is going to work for you as a teacher and your personality and your teaching style and what's going to work for your students. And additionally, it never is really going to stay the same. I float through all four of these and I will do structured, then back to open, then over to flexible. And I sort of like flit like a little butterfly all around them all year long, depending on what we need and what we're learning. And that's okay too. So centers is a whole lot of things. So when someone says, are you running math centers? And you're like, well, I don't, well you yeah, yes, you are. <laughs> if their kids are doing multiple activities at the same time that are doing each and every week, you're planning a whole week, they're doing different activities, they're rotating, there's some differentiation there, you're doing centers. So if you fit somewhere in this matrix, or you want to fit somewhere in this matrix, you're on the right path, my friend. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. <laughs>